When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So welcome to the History of the Heavyweight Championship of the World, a podcast from Yahoo with me, Steve Bunce. Watch now. Down he goes for the count of ten. In this series, I will take a look at one year in the sports history. I will cover all the heavyweight championship fights, the stories, characters, outrageous acts, fairy tales, knockouts, controversies, inventions, and one or two lies. Well, certainly the truth being stretched. In short, all the details that matter. I start in 1960 with men that changed the sport forever. This will be no contest. This will be a total annihilation. Well, let, let him do with it, talking. He does enough for both of us. I would like to announce my retirement from boxing. Oh, well, I've been up and down a number of times. It's all here. Every fighter and fight that matters. Welcome to 1969. It was an odd year, 1969. Joe Frazier was the WBC's heavyweight champion of the world. He had won the vacant title in 1968 and then made two defences. He was also chasing a fight with Jimmy Ellis, the new WBA champion, throughout 1969 and having to deal constantly with rumours of Muhammad Ali's return. Ali would occasionally visit Frazier's city of Philadelphia and create havoc on a radio station by promising to get in the ring right then and beat Joe Frazier in the gym. The crowds would arrive, the police would then arrive, and Ali would do a lot of talking. I'm the champion! You're the chump! Ali would holler. The crowd would laugh and scream with him. It was not a great time to be heavyweight champion of the world. Frazier had done the fighting, done his stuff in the ring, and was desperate for Ali or Ellis. Frazier, to put it quite simply, was not impressed. People said I was ducking. Hell, ducking? I wanted Ellis and the butterfly. But there was nothing doing. It was all cheap talk. There was also a fabulous freak fight in 1969. Over 11 million people would eventually watch Muhammad Ali fight Rocky Marciano on the BBC. The two unbeaten heavyweight champions met in a lunatic but very entertaining fight filmed in a studio. The fight finished filming in the summer of 1969. They fought 75, yes, 75 one-minute rounds. Marciano had dropped a few pounds and acquired a miraculous stay-on-his-head toupee. Ali had also got himself into shape, but he did look a lot older. His fuller face added on several years. He was only 27 at the time. There were several outcomes to the fight. They both won on points. They both won by stoppage or knockout. The fighters, often covered in fake blood, had no idea how the fight would end when it was released. The American public got to watch Rocky winning by knockout in round 13. In Europe, Ali was the winner on cuts. Marciano had been retired for 13 years. Ali was in year three of his own forced exile. Incidentally, Marciano quit boxing just five years before Ali's first fight. They were closer than anybody cares to remember. Ali is the crucial link in heavyweight boxing, having fought Archie Moore, who lost to Marciano, and Marciano had beaten Joe Louis. Ali, at the end of his career, lost to Larry Holmes, and Holmes lost to Tyson. 
Ali is the genius link between just under 70 years of heavyweight championship boxing. Louis, Marciano, Moore, Ali, Holmes, Tyson. Before the fight was screened, the pair were asked a series of questions. Ali is a lot less garrulous than normal and Marciano is a lot more respectful of the young champion. The fight is not bad, honest, it's not a total pantomime. Marciano is fighting his tallest opponent and is unbeaten in 49 fights. And Ali is fighting his shortest opponent and is unbeaten in 29 fights. This fight would get made for real in 2018, trust me. Sadly, Marciano never got to see the finished film, never got to watch his 13th round knockout of Ali. In late August of 1969, aged just 45, Marciano died in a plane crash. Boxing's only ever undefeated heavyweight champion was gone. After the filming, Marciano had talked to Ali's wife at the time, Belinda. He suggested to her that she tell Ali to stop torturing himself, get him out of boxing and forget the whole thing. She knew it would be pointless. Ali had won the title in the ring and that was the only place he was prepared to lose it. The fight with Marciano was just one of the ways Ali kept the money rolling in during the year. He acted with some lovely reviews in a Broadway musical called Buck White. There was a cinema release documentary called AKA Cassius Clay and that did good business. The Ring magazine, known then as the Boxing Bible, still ranked Ali, well Clay to be precise, as the number one heavyweight in the world. And the ancient and intransigent publication refused to acknowledge any other world heavyweight championship fight since Ali last fought when he stopped Zora Foley in March of 1967. There were rumours of an Ali fight in Mississippi in December of 1969. It never happened. There were exhibition fights scheduled and then cancelled. There was a showdown with Frazier, the man who held a part of Ali's old heavyweight title, planned for Miami and then switched to Sydney. There was even talk of a fight in a TV studio with just 1,000 guests, all paying $2,000 per ticket. Something similar was mentioned in 2016 for a Vladimir Klitschko fight on a super yacht in the south of France. That never happened either. Ali was in and out of the 5th Street gym in Miami. Angelo Dundee, his trainer since 1960, paid him $100 per day as the sparring partner for Ellis, the man who held the WBA version of the heavyweight championship. Dundee had his gym rules. I told him, take the money. You paid Jimmy when he sparred with you. Take it, spend it wisely. He needed the money. Ellis remembered that Ali was faster than he had expected him to be, but that he tired quickly. Ellis never fought in 1969, but there was talk of a fight with Henry Cooper, the British icon. That fight never happened because the British Boxing Board of Control refused to acknowledge the WBA. Cooper considered taking the fight overseas, but he was Mr Great Britain in many ways, and that would have been like committing treason to our Henry. Cooper did, however, relinquish his British title in disgust at his treatment by the British Board. It is a shameful incident in British boxing history. Our Henry was denied the very chance of winning the world heavyweight title. It was certainly an odd year, 1969. In April, Frazier was in Houston, Texas for another defence. This was comedy. The man in the opposite corner was called Dave Ziggelwich. His nickname was Ziggy. Well, Ziggy had read an advert one day in the Ring magazine. He was just out of the Navy and looking for a way to make a living. 
The advert said, young boxers wanted, boys from 18 to 23, weigh around 200 pounds, six feet tall, who want to make a lot of money, no experience necessary. The advert further explained that all expenses would be paid for the boxers to travel to Texas for a trial. Ziggy jumped at the chance. He ticked every box, especially the one about wanting to make a lot of money. Well, Ziggy signed up and five years and 29 fights later, he got his crack at the World Heavyweight Championship. It was Rocky before Rocky. The fight attracted a crowd of over 10,000 and a lot of criticism. It did not end in a fairy tale for poor Ziggy. He was dropped heavily and the fight was stopped after just 96 seconds of the first round. Frazier did nothing wrong and his next fight would be voted the Ring Magazine Fight of the Year for 1969. Jerry Quarry was next for Joe, the kid from the Dust Bowl whose first memory of a home was a tent in Utah. He was a good-looking Californian. He hated the label Great White Hope, but he had to carry it like a burden from fight to fight. Quarry's father was a severe taskmaster. Jack trained his son and had hard and luck tattooed across his knuckles. It was, Jack would tell the journalist, the only luck his family ever had. Before the Frazier fight, Quarry had beaten Buster Mathis on points. Mathis was a top fighter, a million times better than poor Ziggy. In June, Frazier and Quarry met for the WBC version of the heavyweight championship in the old ring at Madison Square Garden, and 16,570 paid to be there for the brutal slugfest. The first round was classic. Neither surrendered an inch. Frazier was shocked by Quarry's decision to rumble. They stood toe-to-toe and just fired big, big punches at each other's heads. It continued that way. Frazier would ask Quarry, You threw? Because it's my turn now. It was relentless and steadily Frazier took control and Quarry took a beating. He never flinched or turned away. At the end of round seven, it was waved off. Quarry was not happy with the stoppage. I could have gone on. Boxing is a hard business and a sometimes cruel and unforgiving one. Too true. Quarry remained arguably a top three contender in defeat. The loss had also given him increased respect with the boxing public. Quarry said, they never thought I had a heart. Damn shame I had to show them that way. Jerry cleared over $400,000 for the fight, Frazier slightly more. In 1970, Quarry would get the call to be Ali's opponent in his first fight back after 43 months away. At that time, Quarry was the number one contender for the heavyweight title. There is a lovely Jerry Quarry towel. Well, not quite so lovely for the opponent he flattens. Quarry met British heavyweight champion Jack Bodell and was warned that Big Jack was awkward. The fight at the Empire Paul Wembley was over in just 64 seconds. Quarry was the winner and he was asked in the changing room, did he find Jack awkward? Jerry fought for a second and then said, well, I guess he did fall awkwardly. Bodell, incidentally, had first won the British title vacated by Cooper when the British board refused to sanction his fight for the WBA title against Ellis. It's all connected in the 60s, my friend. In 1969, George Foreman turned professional. He had won the gold medal at heavyweight at the 1968 Olympics. He finished the year 13-0. 11 of his victims were knocked out. One of Big George's victims was Chuck Wepner, not yet the fighter who would be transformed into Rocky in the next decade. George was only 20 at the end of the year. 
Ken Norton had six wins in 1969 and finished the year 12-0. and He would eventually win a version of the World Heavyweight title a decade later and shared a ring in three fights with Ali and also have one extreme fight with Foreman. Ernie Shavers turned professional in 1969 and finished the year with six wins in seven fights. He would go on and become one of the sport's hardest punchers in the 70s, a heavyweight to fear. He would be in some of the greatest heavyweight fights of the decade. In the 90s, however, he somehow ended up working on the doors as a bouncer in Liverpool. Joe Bugner fought 11 times in 1969, winning 10 and losing on points to an American journeyman called Dick Hall on a behind-closed-doors gentlemen's-only show in London. At the end of the year, Bugner, who was still only 19, but having his 23rd fight, beat Charlie Polite. A couple of months earlier, Polite had beaten Ziggy. Yep, the same Ziggy who in April of 1969 fought Joe Frazier for the heavyweight title. Reg Guttridge was a big fan of young Joe from the very start. Bugner could fight. He beat some experienced and seasoned Americans when he was still only a baby in boxing terms. The old campaigners and contenders and champions from the 60s were mostly still on the circuit, still scrapping for a living after a life in the boxing business. Floyd Patterson never fought in 1969, but he did keep boxing until 1972, when he was stopped by Ali. Floyd had been a professional for 20 years. Sonny Liston won three and lost one fight. He was knocked out by Leotis Martin, a grim knockout, after controlling the fight. Martin was a big betting underdog in Las Vegas. However, the terrible knockout ended any talk of a fix. Liston would have just one more fight, a bloodbath against Chuck Wepner in 1970 before his death. And that, by the way, remains a dark mystery. George Chevallo, one of the toughest men in any era of heavyweight boxing, lost on points to Buster Mathis and then stopped Quarry late in 1969. It's odd, but Quarry beat Mathis, just one of boxing's anomalies. Styles make fights. Zoe Foley won three times in 1969, but died aged just 41 in 1972 after an accident in a motel swimming pool. Well, that's the official story, but something far more complex and sinister is the real story. Oscar Bonavina won three of his four fights in 1969. He was shot to death outside a legal brothel in Reno, Nevada in 1976. He was 33 and shot through the heart. Contender Eddie Machin never fought in 1969 and was dead at 40 in 1972. Suicide. Cleveland Big Cat Williams won just two of his five fights in 1969 and quit in 1972. Big Ernie Terrell never fought in 1969 but retired in 1973. The big names from the 60s were gone or nearly gone as the decade came to an end. As the year ended, it was announced that a deal had finally been agreed for Jimmy Ellis, the WBA champion, to fight Joe Frazier, the WBC champion. They signed for the fight in New York in December. It was scheduled for February 1970. Dundee never wanted the fight for Ellis, but there was nowhere else to go. Ellis against Frazier was long overdue, and so was Muhammad Ali's return. The 60s had ended. Floyd Patterson regained and lost the title. Sonny Liston finally got his chance and won and lost the title. Ali won the title was dominant but was then defeated by the government. What a decade! The greatest decade up until that point 
In the 70s, the sport would move to another level, led by some of the finest heavyweights in history. The fight of the century was coming. Ali V. Frazier. It had to happen, and it would. If Joe Frazier hooks me, I'm getting on my hands and my knees. I crawl across the ring. Look up to you, say, you're the champion. You're the greatest. I'm trying to get you on the spot if you think you're so good. And then I'm going to crawl back on four feet. And then I'm going to tell and walk out of the ring and say, listen to me, boy. And when you want me, Hope you enjoyed the 60s. Adios. Watch now. Down he goes for the count of 10. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. The 60s was a golden decade for sports writing. And here are some of the men that made it special. The writing geniuses at ringside for some of the greatest fights ever. In 1969, momentum to get Ali back in the ring intensified. The FBI was listening in. It was no longer just about the boxing. Erwin Shaw, writing in the November 1969 edition of Esquire, delivered a study with depth and understanding. Here's Shaw with the old and new facts about the boxer's exile. What has happened in the various courtrooms into which Muhammad Ali's actions has led him can hardly justify a citizen's rebellion. But what has happened outside the courtroom? Wiretapping by the FBI and the pious boycotting of a simple and courageous, if misguided, young black must make us all take a long, hard look at America today. Shaw talks about the deals on the table for Ali to get back in the ring in 1969 and notes that promoters were using sharp elbows to get in the right position for when, not if, the right to continue fighting was granted. Ali was in demand. The problem, Shaw argues, is simple. Muhammad Ali is Muhammad Ali and no longer the innocent kid known as Cassius Clay. Shaw is convinced that he would still be fighting if he was Cassius and not Muhammad. He ends the feature in old-fashioned, tub-thumping style. Muhammad Ali was quoted as saying, I got no quarrel with them Viet Cong, a feeling that is certainly shared by a large number of Americans who are not facing five years in jail, who are going about their business of earning their living unimpeded and who make no phone calls to people whose phones are monitored, even inadvertently, by the FBI. Among other figures in the world of sports, there has been no noticeable rush to the flag. And even among those few professional athletes who have been trapped into some form of military service, there has been no case, to my knowledge, of a halfback, or a pitcher, or even a boxing commissioner, who has fallen in action or even heard a shot fired in anger.
I am not suggesting that a regiment be formed of boxers and fullbacks to be dispatched immediately to the Mekong Delta, thereby depriving me of the pleasure of watching them throw a left hook or go off tackle. But to the ordinary American, especially the black American, it must seem that one man has been singled out and hounded down where hundreds of his more cautious colleagues have been allowed to drift off into society. Joe Frazier's second defence of his world heavyweight title in 1969 was in June at Madison Square Garden against Jerry Quarry. It was voted Ring Magazine's Fight of the Year. It was savage, a brawl for the ages. At ringside, the American commentator and sports presenter Howard Cassell fell in love with the fight. Here were some of Cassell's finest from that night at the Garden. This is a slugfest. A lot of leather thrown in the first two rounds. Frazier keeps coming after him, getting him with the left. The left is working in there with almost meticulous precision. Joe Frazier, utterly unmarked, completely dominant now in the bout. Moving in strongly, aggressively, relentlessly, confidently, they stopped the fight. The commission doctor and the referee Arthur McCanty examined his right eye. Puffy closed. The left eye too, now substantially closed. Cosell created that breathless quality. Bang, bang, bang. He had his critics, but he could certainly help a fight. Quarry was not happy at the end. I couldn't see out of my right eye. I didn't want the fight to be stopped. I wanted to go out punching like a man. Jimmy Ellis, the WBA heavyweight champion of the world at the time, was there at the end and invited into the ring for an interview. His fight with Frazier would happen in 1970. There was talk that night at the Garden that Ellis would fight ex-champion Sonny Liston in late July in either Houston, Los Angeles or Las Vegas. That fight never happened. Yank Durham, Frazier's manager, told Ellis that he was next. We're going to take a tune-up with you and then fight Cassius Clay if the government ever turns him loose. But right now, Joe's going to rest. He said four title defences in a year. The ring that night was a complete and utter circus. It was fantastic. Angelo Dundee was also in there. He had been part of the broadcast team and he responded instantly to Durham's claim. We'll sign the papers right now. But they're ducking us. That Yank Durham just likes to talk a lot of baloney. We want Frazier, but we're not going to wait forever. Dundee was, of course, Ellis's manager, in addition to being Ali's trainer. That's the flavour of that world title fight night. The ring packed with men making bold claims, laughing and dismissing promises. Incidentally, George Foreman was on the undercard making his debut that Monday night at the Garden. He won in the third. Ali was watching somewhere, watching the man he had declared war on, watching his old sparring partner, watching the man he would fight in just over a year, and watching the man that would define his boxing life five years later one epic morning in Africa. He had a big boxing world waiting for him, and Frazier, Ellis, Quarry and Foreman were not going anywhere. The business was about to change. The world of boxing would never be the same again. If you're enjoying this tour through the best of boxing history, you can find more transcripts, 
archive videos, historical images, in the boxing section of the Yahoo UK sports site. That's uk.sports.yahoo.com slash boxing. The history of the heavyweight championship is written and recorded by me, Steve Bunce, produced by Yahoo UK, with editing and sound design by Lolita Laguna. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.